Looks like it's going to be another beautiful day for us. And this will be a good day for the lesson we're going to be having this morning. As we, you can see the, the title of this one, Needing a Little, you've got the Greek word there, nipto, is what we're going to be going into. So with that, I've got to tell you, uh, a while back, I was speaking at a men's retreat down in Baraboo, Wisconsin. And after I got done uh, speaking this one morning, I think it was the Saturday morning, and we're getting ready then to go to lunch. Um, as I was walking around, turning off my uh, computer and, and putting the stuff down, the microphone and all this, to get ready to walk over to the building where we're going to eat, um, an elderly man came walking up to me. And he, he said, um, you're going to eat now, right? I said, yeah. And he says, would you eat with me? I need to talk to you. I said, sure. So we walked over to the building, didn't say a whole lot on the way, just a little small talk as we were talking. Uh, we go in there, we get our little meal trays and stuff, and we sat down at a table. And I said, so, what's, what's on your mind? And he said, Michael, I've been listening carefully to your lesson. And I just got done doing the lesson, by the way, on salvation. Very similar to what I talked on yesterday with you all. And uh, he says, I've been listening very carefully, and... Um, I'm not sure I'm saved. Okay. I said, what makes you think you are? And he says, well, when I was young, I realized that I was separated from God by my sin and that uh, I needed a Savior. I needed Christ. And I asked God to forgive me of my sin and to become Lord of my life. And he says, as time has gone on, you know, I've, I've done things working for God. I've I've worked in Sunday schools, I have actually preached in the church, I've served in the church, I've done all these different things, I've, I've tithed, and I've done everything, and I wasn't for ceremonial things or rituals, it's just because I love God, and um, I really wanted to, to make him my Lord. And I said, all right, why do you think you're not saved? And he teared up at this point, staring me right in the eyes, and he says, I keep sinning. This was an elderly man. This guy was in his 70s. Hmm. 70 years old. Questioning his salvation because he still sins. Wow. This past year, this past April, on the marine biology trip, those of you who do not know, the series that you're getting this week was what I talked on on the marine biology trip to the high school kids and the, all the chaperones. This is the series. You're getting the abridged version because the trip is a lot longer than five days, so they get a much longer thing, a lot more detail to it, but it was after these last two sessions. Um, I was walking down uh, the street. We live on a, a little tiny island down there. You can walk all the way around the island in like seven minutes, and I was down a little ways from where the eating area and the working areas and stuff were. I was walking back up, and it was, it was in the evening, and I'm walking down the road. I was by myself, and I see one of our students come walking towards me, and... You know how you're, you're on a, a road like this and the person di diverts their direction directly toward you so you know they're wanting to talk to you about something. And he came up to me and I said, yeah, what, what's up? And he says, these last two sessions have really hit me. I said, okay. He said, I'm not sure I'm a Christian and I'm saved. Wow. Why do you think you're a Christian? And he said, well, a few years ago, I realized that I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. And I, I, I want to, uh, 
get close to God, and I know I can't do it on anything I can do myself. It's only by the blood of Jesus, and I do believe that Jesus died for my sin, and I, I prayed to God to, to forgive me my sin and become Lord of my life. And I go, then what's the problem? Why do you think you're not a, a Christian? Why do you think you're not saved? You know what he said? I keep sinning. An elderly person asked me that. A teenager asked me this. That's quite a span of years here. So, today, we're going to talk a little bit about this. Actually, this is the next step in the tabernacle process. The whole thing, as you'll recall, we are continuing a journey right now, as we've started here a couple of days ago, on being Methetists. We're being disciples, followers of Christ. A disciple, as we've learned, is a student teacher relationship, a personal relationship, and that's what God asks us. And Jesus demands our all. Like I gave you a picture of a house, and he wants every single room. He wants what's in every single room. He wants everything. We are to surrender our all to him. We are, in the purpose of life, to do two things. To have a personal relationship with God. And second, we are saved to worship him. That is the purpose of your existence. And that's what we've been going through. I know when we started and I said that we're talking on discipleship and some of you rolled your eyes and shook your head and looked down like, oh man, this is what discipleship, I've heard so much on discipleship. And I said, this is a little different. I'm going to challenge you. I hope I've been doing that. I hope actually God's been doing that because God has put this upon my heart to give to you. And I hope this has been uh, a challenge. And today we're going to deal with this problem, which is the next part of the tabernacle. And that is what, (laughs) I keep sinning. I get, went through the process and stuff, and I keep sinning. We do have this problem. We will still sin. Um, even though we're saved. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by the faith we have in this. Folks, we live in a fallen world. Do you ever notice that? Do you notice that you can't turn on the radio, you can't watch a TV show, you can't read a magazine, you can't read a newspaper, Practically, you can't live anywhere and not be surrounded by temptation and sin going on around us all the time. It's all around us every day. And every day, or just about every day, we have sinful thoughts. Maybe you looked upon somebody with lust. Maybe you lied a little yesterday, or maybe this morning. Maybe you looked upon something and coveted it. I don't know. Sins are abundant. And as we go through this life, we are surrounded with it, and we're going to be attacked with this. Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what buttons to push on us and stuff. So how do we handle that? Let's look at the tabernacle, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this day, and we just ask that, again, your word would just come alive to us. Lord, teach us. Teach us. Show us. We want to be disciples of you. We want to be followers of you. We want to be in this personal relationship. God, open up your word to us and let us see that you would be glorified. Yours is the glory of all of this. Help me to make this clear. 
And Lord, may our hearts be able to accept this. May your Holy Spirit just speak and burn inside of us, teaching us what we need to know. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, we're going to go back to the tabernacle. You got the picture there in your handout, and again, those of you who are listening on the internet, um, if you want copies of this, you can contact Fort Wilderness and we can get you a copy of the handouts, no problem. We're looking at a picture of the tabernacle, and as we saw yesterday, the tabernacle has one opening, and it's a remarkable thing that God puts around the tribes, the different tribes of Israel camped all around this, but the one opening, that 30-foot opening, the only way to get into the tabernacle was through the tribe of Judah. And as we all know, Jesus is a descendant of the tribe of Judah. So in the Old Testament, the people had to go through the tribe of Judah to get to the access of God. And today, the only way we can have access to God is through Jesus Christ, who John even wrote, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. If you'll recall, as you come into the tabernacle, we had the altar. We talked about that yesterday, the bronze altar, the grill, as I kept mistakenly calling it. Um, and then we get to this laver we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But you'll see that there's this inside tent inside the tabernacle. And tomorrow we're going to talk about the first part, what's called the holy place in there. And there's three pieces of furniture. We're going to dwell on those tomorrow. But the whole point is the tabernacle was set up because this is where God would become manifest to the people. He spoke from inside the Holy of Holies, and he would even appear, even though he is spirit and everywhere, he would appear so the people could see, the priest and stuff would be able to see, and he would appear there on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the Holy of Holies. God would appear. So, you'll notice that there, around the tabernacle, there's a fence. You can't get in anyway. You just can't go walking up to God. And like true for us today, we just cannot have access directly to God on our own merits. You can't. It's walled off. We cannot get there. We have to go through the opening, and that is Jesus Christ. We have to come with a sacrifice. We sacrifice our all. As we saw yesterday in the altar, they would take the animal, slay it, use its blood. We are forgiven. Um, the blood is what forgives as Leviticus 17.11 says, and then the, the animal is sacrificed, the head, the fat, the inner organs, and the legs, as it represents, as Jesus puts, we are to give to God our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, the four parts of the sacrifice. And that is our salvation. But there's more to the tabernacle. The labor is next. This isn't coincidence. Remember, God is the one who designed this. So what are we looking at when we come in here? What is the purpose of this wash basin called a laver? That's where we're at. Now, first of all, this, this little thing, this little laver is between. Notice strategically where it's placed. It is after the altar. So after salvation. But we still haven't got access to God yet. But it's there... Now, that's how it was in the tabernacle. You had this. Then, to get closer to God, the next thing was the laver. Now, remember I told you, too, that there's priests and Levites walking all around in here in the courtyard all the time? It's a very busy place. There's lots of animals being sacrificed. It's got a dirt floor. It's very, very dirty, very messy work that they are doing and stuff to get into to the next part where the holy place is. And this laver is so important. Now, what is this laver? What did it look like? We're not really told. 
in Scripture, we get descriptions on the other things in great detail. We're not told in great detail what it looked like. It was made of bronze, and it was made of bronze mirrors donated from women. So it was really highly polished bronze. I'll tell you, in the sunlight, that thing must have shone like, you know, like just blazing light. We see this in Exodus chapter 38, verse 8. It says, he made the basin of, um, of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle. So that's where this thing is actually made. But like I said, we don't know what the design was. It, it, it probably held water in two positions. It was probably one large basin on the top, and then there was also probably a basin towards the bottom. The feet get dirty walking around with all this dirt in the tabernacle and stuff. So it was probably, most scholars believe, that it was actually two sections of water at least um, in this, I guess a lot of people make it think, uh, or think of it as a birdbath type structure, which sort of, that's what it looked like, I guess. And that's what it was. Now, the priest, of course is the one who is communicating between you, the common man in those days, and God. You did not have direct access to God. Even though you did the sacrifice, it was an animal sacrifice. As we saw in the book of Hebrews, it just really wasn't the best thing, but it was symbolic of what Christ was going to do. The animal sacrifices just didn't do it very well, but it was the priest who, when you wanted to worship God, you had to, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, use a priest. That's why there was priests there. And these priests would be the person that you would go to. He would help you with the sacrifice. He would be the one slaying it. He would be the one grilling it, um, burning it. Pardon me. I keep talking about steaks on like Father's Day here. Um, but they would be the one burning this thing on the altar. And then they would be the one going into the holy place. You can't. We did not have direct access to God according to the old covenant. So the priest was your mediator between you and God. That's how it was set up. Now, we don't have this system today. We don't have the temple. We don't have the tabernacle. We, God tells us in the New Testament, we are the temples of Christ. And who is our priest today? We don't have priests walking around in this system. Who is the priest? The answer is in Hebrews chapter 5. Jesus Christ is our mediator. And as Hebrews chapter 5 goes on and says, he is a much better priest than the Aaron system, the old system as it's talking about. Because he used his own blood, not the blood of an animal. Jesus is our priest. That's why we don't have priests today. Jesus is our go-between. As John said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except through him. He is our priest. Though there are some denominations and stuff that don't look at it that way, but that is what Scripture says. Man-made traditions and stuff have done it in different ways, but that is what the Scripture says, very distinctly, very clearly. Now, this priest would bring the sacrifice um, up to the altar. He would sacrifice it, this animal and stuff like that. He would slay it. He would do all this, as we talked about in the last lesson. Now, I want you to think for a moment what a priest must have been like in those days. I mean, really, you're slaughtering animals constantly, you're um, walking on dirt floors constantly. Uh, you know, there's no, even on the holy place, it's dirt. You're wearing sandals. You know, sandals, if you ever notice, don't keep your feet real clean. You know, and, and it, it gets a little messy and stuff. So the floor is just dirt. Um, and so 
we have a little problem here. The priests kept getting dirty. It was a messy job. Slaughtering animals. Grilling all day. <laughs> There's that word again. Grilling all day. It's dirty work. It is. The floor of the tabernacle's dirty. That's how this thing was set up. That's what it was. Now, the priests would have to obviously bathe. They would have to go over and wash and stuff like this. But let me tell you, let's get into what this priest business was about. How did one become a priest? Well, first of all, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. Um, or, I'm sorry, a descendant of Levi, pardon me. Um, you have to be a descendant there, and you have to be in the line of Aaron to be the priest. The others are going to be the Levites, temple workers and stuff. But the thing is, you have to be born into this lineage for being a priest. No one could just be like, hey, I think I'll go up and be a priest. It, it wasn't like that. And what would happen to become a priest the, um, and to have access to God, because that's who the priests are, if you caught this, a certain ceremony was performed when a person reached the age of 30, in line, a descendant of Aaron, when he got to be 30, there was a certain ceremony that was held at the opening of the tabernacle where this guy, who's going to be now a priest, he's 30 years old, he would be bathed at the tabernacle, a public bath. He would get bathed. Now, women weren't allowed really to see this, but they would bathe him right there at the entrance of the tabernacle. He would take a, a total bath, total cleansing, and that was the whole thing. That was part of this process. We see this in Exodus chapter 29, verse 4. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and wash them with water. So every single priest, when they, uh, to become a priest, you weren't a priest until you were 30 years old. At 30 years old, you had this ceremony. You would take this bath in front of everybody. Then the high priest would raise his hands and announce to everyone that you are now a priest. That's how it was done. By the way, can I go on a little rabbit trail for a second? Why did Jesus have to get baptized? Did Jesus have any sin? No. Why did Jesus have to go to the Jordan to get baptized by John the Baptist? Remember, even John the Baptist was like, you should be baptizing me. Jesus says, no, we have to do it this way. It has to be this way. Do you remember who John the Baptist was? Do you remember what line of the tribes he is from. Ah, I see it starting to light up. I see a lot of people all of a sudden, eyes lighting up, either that or I woke you up when I got closer to you. I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> John the Baptist was in the priestly line. Jesus, 30 years old, comes down. He has to be immersed. This type of the bathing was immersion. He was immersed and came up and stood up. And then what happened? A declaration is made. In this system, back in Exodus, a declaration is made. The high priest says this person is now a priest. Who made the declaration when Jesus came up out of the water? God the Father. Why? Because Jesus is our priest. Isn't that cool? Sorry about the rabbit trail, but I wanted to make sure you got that because that is so interesting how all this fits together. Wow, so neat. So this bath that the priest would go through symbolizes complete cleansing from, from all your sins for the Lord. It was, it was a one-time event. You realize the priest never had to go back and do that. When they reached the age of 30, they had this bath. They never did it again. You were bathed and dedicated to God once and for all. Wow, that's a word we sort of used yesterday, those words. You're saved once and for all. 
The priest never had to go back and get this whole thing done again. It was a declaration that was made, voila, he is dedicated now to God. Now the problem comes. The problem comes because the priest is working in this dirty environment and keeps getting dirty. To come into God's presence, into the holy place, where we're going to talk about tomorrow, you've got to be clean. Now, they had duties inside that room. There was bread. That's where they would eat their bread. There was a, a lampstand that they had to adjust and make sure it was always filled with oil and that the wicks were still being replaced, that the wicks would never go out, the flames would never go out. There was work to do in there. There was incense that they had to burn in there. There was a lot of work being done, but you just couldn't be coming, you know, walking over to a sacrifice, helping, you know, uh, Joe, the, the, the Jew here with his sacrifice, and then like, oh, I think I'll go back walking now into the uh, holy place. And you just didn't do that with, with all this dirt on your feet and, and gunk on your hands and you're dirty and stuff from all the... You just didn't walk into the presence of God like that if you were a priest. No. Do you realize what you had to do? After doing the sacrifice at the altar, if I need to go in there, now I go over to the laver and I wash and cleanse myself. Now, I can walk into the holy place. Isn't this tabernacle stuff really interesting? I know many of you have already made the connections of where I'm going with this. It is so cool. I love this. After each sacrifice and duty, the priest would go over to the laver. He would wash his hands. He would wash his feet. Because why? He got dirty. Where? In the environment he is in. Where he is living. He keeps getting dirty. So he goes back over and washes. you got a lot of priests doing this. There's a lot of people around. You have the Levites who are there emptying the water, going down, getting new water, bringing it back. They had a constant job doing this. These temple workers. That was the Levites' job to do that to keep these things clean, to keep everything going. That's what this was all about. So, that's what's happening. You see, they were already declared sanctified. When they reached 30 and had that bath, they were uh, already declared sanctified. They were already ministering to God and to the people, but they kept getting dirty due to the environment where they worked. And you can probably see the correlation of us today. We keep getting dirty, even though we're saved. We keep getting dirty because of the environment we live in, the environment we work in. They needed another cleansing, but they didn't have to bathe all over. They just had to cleanse there at the laver. Then they can have access to God. A priest was forbidden to walk into the holy place with dirty feet. A priest was forbidden, forget, uh, forbidden to walk into the holy place closer to the access of directly to God in the Holy of Holies on the other side. They could only go in there once a year. They have atonement. That was the only time they could go in there. But to go into the holy place right next to it, only a curtain separating it, they couldn't do that if they had any type of filth on them. They had to be clean. Let's see how this starts to play out with us. I'm going to have you keep this on the back burner, on the front burner now at the stove of your mind. We're going to look at something a little bit different. We're going to look at a very famous Bible passage 
that takes place around Easter time, and we read this all of the time, and it has to do with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Fascinating story. Very confusing to a lot of people. Here's Jesus, and here's an image I'm showing on the screen right now. It's a painting, a very famous painting, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He is kneeling down on the ground, washing their dirty feet. Hmm. Remember how the story goes? Peter doesn't want him to do it. No way you're going to do this to me. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I've asked many people, what do you think that's in there for? Why did God put this in here? Why did Jesus do this? And I'll tell you, the most common answer is, oh, it's that we're supposed to be humble. Well, I believe that's a good answer. I don't think it's the most correct answer. Because I believe this is all setting up back again with this tabernacle and this whole point. So, what is Jesus actually doing? Why is he doing this? Now, I don't want to get into this denominational thing about foot washing. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to say this. I have nothing against any church or denomination that wants to do foot washing. My dad was raised social brethren. Social brethren denomination, every Easter, they do this. They have a ceremony at their church, and you wash other people's feet. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Jesus himself did it. It's, but I do not see it anywhere in the New Testament church. This is the only time it's really mentioned in the Gospels. Uh, it's not mentioned in any of the other books of, of this event taking place in the churches. So I don't think it's actually commanded for us to do in this thing. This is my personal take here. I'm just giving you my personal feeling on this. But I think it was a good thing. And I don't, I don't knock any church, any denomination that wants to do this. I think it's a great humbling experience and it teaches you a lot. But I don't think it's necessary because we don't see the early church doing this. So, social brethren, you want to do it? God bless you. I think it's cool. I think it's great. Maybe more of us should do that. Maybe we should put that more times into what we do. And Yeah. But I think there's something more here than just humility that Jesus is doing. What Jesus is teaching here is not just humility. Again, we're trying to get access and worship God. We want to get into this personal relationship with God. We just went through what salvation is. We've just seen that part of the tabernacle. Now we're at the labor. Is there some correlation? Many of you have probably already caught this by the expressions on your face. Is there some correlation to what Jesus was doing here and what uh, was taking place at the tabernacle? Yes, there is. There is. There's something going on here. And let me show you. Let's first of all take a look at the passage in the book of John of Jesus doing this and that gives us the clue of what's going on. Let's read this together. In John chapter 13, starting at verse 3. This is at the Last Supper now. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I, am doing you, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, 
Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, verse 10, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. This verse gives us the clue. Now, I told you a few days ago, there was a guy, this upstart named Alexander the Great that Hellenized the world, put the Greek culture into the world. One thing that he did was made a common language, if you'll recall, of Greek throughout the entire world, right? So, the Jews took the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and had it put into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. You can buy copies of it today. The Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Old Testament, but instead of being in Hebrew and Chaldean, it's in Greek. So, that's what we have. When you look at the Septuagint on the passage having to do with this tabernacle and the priest dedication and stuff like that, you see something really interesting because now it's in Greek. And again, I believe God set this whole thing up from the beginning. Um, this word bathe and this word wash are not the same word. Now, you think, well, duh, Michael, you're showing me here on the English Standard Version, it's not the same word. You have bathed, you have washed. But I want to point out, some translations, some very popular translations use the exact same word here. Wash and wash, they do. There's some translations that do that. It's two different words in the Greek, in the Septuagint. Two different words here. And that's where we get the key. You see, in the original Greek, there are two different words. The first word is bathe. The first word is bathe. Jesus said to him, Once, uh, the, the one who has bathed. Now, the word bathe here is the word luo in Greek. Luo is the same word used to describe what the priests would do in their dedication. That bath I told you about when you're turned 30, that is a luo. You are totally immersed. You're totally bathed. You go all the way under. You come up. You are dedicated to God. That's what luo is. Now, luo represents the same word used to describe the washing done for entrance into the priesthood. There's something more to this. Because there's another word. Now, this part here, I'm just staying on this one for a second, this first bathing that Jesus is talking about here, actually, to us Christians, what is being said here, this is the washing that occurs to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. As to the priest, when he comes up, he is totally dedicated once and for all to God for his entire life. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as I talked about yesterday, you are saved, as we saw in, in the Gospels and in the book of Hebrews, we are saved once and for all. Christ does not have to keep going back up onto the cross and being crucified again. We're saved once and for all. This is a luo. That's what this is talking about. So, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Luo symbolically means our regeneration, our salvation. That's what's taking place here. And that's what we talked about yesterday. But today, there's something different. Because now, we're going not at the entrance of the tabernacle, we are at the labor, we've gone past, we've already sacrificed, given God our all, but now because of the environment we're living in, we get dirty, now we come to the labor, now we need something different. 
And that is where we get this one. The washing that Jesus is doing here is not luo. It's a different type of washing. It is the word nipto. Nipto is what is talked about with the priests at the tabernacle going to the laver, cleansing the dirt, the temporary dirt that just got on them so that they can go in to the presence of God. Do you see what's going on here? This is the word for those cleansing their feet, for washing their hands, it's done at the labor. That's a nipto. That's what's the difference between these two. And by doing this now, a priest can get into the presence. Because as I said, a priest could not go into the holy place where God's presence was manifested unless they first went through the nipto. To be a priest, they had to go through the luo. Now they have to go through the nipto. And they have to do this a lot. Every time they got dirty, they would go back over to the laver. They would wash so that they can have access to God. They go over, they do a sacrifice. Oh, I got some dirt. I want to go in and have some bread. I want to go in and have access to God. I've got to go nipto. I need to nipto. You know, priests would nipto many times whenever it was necessary every single day. They'd only do a luo once. And that's luo, not luau. That's a different word. <laughs> they would only luo once. They would niptoe many times every day. Why? Because they wanted to be cleansed to go into the presence of God. That's what this is about. They just couldn't go in on their own. They just couldn't go in with dirt and stuff all over them. They first had to go through a niptoe. Jesus is taking the tabernacle, this event that all of these Jews understood. This was what they were raised with. The temple is built upon the same system. And they're showing, Jesus is showing us, Christians, who have already been through the altar, who are saved, who are regenerated into we have access to God this way, but he is showing us, even though we've been washed in the blood and we have been forgiven of our sins, we do need daily cleansing. That's what's going on here. So, have you had a little nip-toe lately? Have you nip-toed? In other words, is there some sin that's made you unclean? Oh, I'm not doubting your salvation. We still live in a sinful world. We're, as I told both these people, the elderly person and the teenager, we're not perfect yet. The time is coming when we will be like him. It's not here now. God has left us in this environment. And as I told you a couple of days ago, God intentionally sometimes sends us into storms in our life, as he did with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And sometimes it takes that kind of thing to get us to actually worship God and to get close to God. Sometimes he does bring us into stuff like this. But if you're trying to get close to God and you're harboring some type of sin and you just refuse to give it up, you're not surrendering to God everything then. But you really, that can block your real close relationship with God. We need to nip-toe. 
It's so funny. Some of those students on a marine biology trip, every now and then on Facebook, say before they're going to bed, well, need to do a little nip-toe before I go to bed tonight. I love that. They've caught it. Have you caught it? Do you catch this now? That's why the labor is in that position. It's between the altar and the holy place. That's why it's there. All of us live in a dirty environment. We're all going to pick up dirt and filth. I mean, we're here. We're living. We're not dead. We don't need to do a luo, as some people have taught. We certainly need to do a niptoe. I want you to take a few minutes. I've asked Josh to come up here. He's going to lead us in a, in a song, a very familiar hymn, a beautiful hymn. I don't have time to go into the story behind it. If you want to do some research, uh, the, the hymn is called Search Me, O God. I'm telling you, it's one of the most beautiful stories of how this hymn was put together. But I want you to take a few moments. Don't just sing this with head knowledge. What I want you to do, folks, this is a niptoe time. And even after the song today, Throughout the day, maybe you want to get off into the woods. When you get back home, maybe you need to get in your car, maybe you need to, to go into a closet, wherever. I challenge you folks, do a little niptoe. Every day, search me, oh God. Know my heart. Is there something blocking me? Help me to niptoe that. Let's sing this. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart today. Try me, O oh Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where once I burn with shame. Grant my desire to magnify thy name. Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. Revival comes from thee. 
Send a revival, start the work in me. Thy word declares, thou wilt supply our need. For blessing now, O Lord, I humbly because this song is talking about Nipto. Take some time every day, folks, just not today. Let's learn to make it a daily habit, like it was with those priests in the Old Testament. Let's make it a daily habit to Nipto. You catch something, do a self-examination before you go to bed at night. Nipto. It's a great word. I love that word. Father, we thank you so much for your word for Jesus' example to us. Lord, I thank you for the, the tabernacle, even the way you set that up. It is absolutely brilliant how you planned everything out. Lord, yesterday we talked about salvation, but we still, we still sin. I'm reminded through this song of what David did. Though he was walking close with you, he still did a major sin. And he cried out, search me, O God. Know my heart. Oh. He did a nipto. Lord, help us to even challenge each other to nipto, to challenge our children to nipto so that we can be able to have a close, personal relationship with you at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.